0: Good morning, church. It's uh, great to be uh, with you uh, on this Labor Day weekend. Um, most of you that have been at New Community know how much I love the hymn, Great Is I Faithfulness. CC knows how much I love that hymn. Um, it is a powerful, rich, uh, theologically grounded hymn. Um, that, that hymn uh, that I grew up singing took on a whole different meaning once I recognize the scripture reference from which the hymn writer uh, took the hymn to uh, write um, it's actually found in a book that you might not have normally sort of uh, associated with with the hymn it's found in Lamentations let me show you Lamentations chapter 3 verse 19 Uh, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. And remember, as we've been on this series, that the book of Lamentations is an entire book on lament, probably written by the prophet Jeremiah, who is a, a contemporary of Habakkuk. Now, the context of this book in which Lamentations is written is when? is is, is the fall of the city of Jerusalem, which God tells Habakkuk is going to happen in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, verses 5 to 11. In response to his people, who have pretty much abandoned God and gone astray, God tells Habakkuk that he is going to send the Babylonians to judge his people, right? So in 597 B.C., big bad Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army come and absolutely demolish and devastate the city of Jerusalem and the rest of Judah. The city lies in ruins. Husbands and sons have been taken into exile. There is no country to speak of. And suffering is everywhere. That is the context of Lamentations. And look what it says in verse 21. And yet, I still dare to hope. And this is pretty incredible. And yet, I still dare to hope. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is not, well, I I hope so. Biblical hope is life-changing certainty about the future. Biblical hope is being certain about the future in a way that affects how you live now. That is biblical hope. And I don't know about you, but we need to dare to hope in such a time as this, amen? We need daring hope to get through what it is that we're going through. So it's verse 21, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Source of hope, this, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. And here it is, verse 23, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness just think about that church see it's one thing to think about god's faithfulness after you've experienced deliverance it's another thing to say great is your faithfulness when you're still in the midst of pain it's one thing to say god is good when good things are happening It's another thing to say God is good when circumstances say otherwise. It's daring hope that enables you and me to say God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. No, no, no. Here's the exciting truth I want us to come around. So, how then is this hope found? Verse 24 I say to myself, what's he doing? What's he doing? He is what? He is preaching to himself. He is talking to himself. Okay? I say to myself, I constantly remind all of us, a great deal of what ails us is that we automatically, naturally, listen to us. We are great at listening to ourselves, listening to the lies of ourselves, the self-condemnations of ourselves, the doubts, the fears. We're great at listening to all these thoughts within us, without, outside of us. But very few of us have nurtured the discipline of what? Preaching to ourselves. Speaking to ourselves this is what the psalmists are doing all the time they are preaching to their souls they are speaking to their souls truth of who god is and what he has done and yet i say to myself the lord is my portion soul therefore i will hope in him the lord is good to those who wait There is a word again, kava, wait for him to the soul who seeks him. Verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly. Silence or solitude are so critical in seasons of waiting. I will wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say, I dare to hope. I want daring hope that can endure, that can persevere through anything in life. I want a faith that says, Circumstances don't corroborate God's goodness in my life. That thing right there, the cross, corroborates God's goodness in my life. I will place my hope in Him. Great is your faithfulness, God. I want that faith. And the Bible says over and over again that that comes, here it is, in waiting on the Lord. In waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40 31. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, listen, listen. It's in the waiting. It's, it's during the waiting that you get stronger. It's not, I've waited and afterwards I've... It's in the waiting. It's in the midst of... Of the waiting midst of confusion midst of midst of anxiety midst of God where are you midst of God how long God it's in the midst of that the liminal space of tension and confusion when everything is not nice and neat and tidy and clear it's in the middle of that as you wait on him that you get stronger it's in the waiting that you and I develop a trust and confidence in God that wasn't there before. It's in the waiting, in the waiting, that you and I experience joy and peace that the world doesn't know anything about. It's in the waiting that we learn to place our hope on Jesus, the solid rock on which we all stand. It's in The waiting not after in it that god says i will renew your strength and in this season of collective waiting i believe that god is wanting to do a deep work in us can i get an amen to be sure some people will fall away to be sure some people will walk away from their faith but like psalm 1 like a man or woman whose trees are planted by the stream. I believe that in this season, we could have an opportunity for our roots to go deeper, just as a tree's roots will go deeper and deeper to find water in seasons of drought. Our roots have an opportunity to go deeper and deeper and deeper to find the source of the living water whose name is Jesus. We have an opportunity to grow. But that growth and transformation is not automatic. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. It's working out our salvation. How? By learning to what? Wait on the Lord which is what we've been talking about can I can I can I can I just be honest with you guys I don't want to preach on the book of Habakkuk okay (laughs) I don't why Habakkuk doesn't end with simplistic answers Habakkuk doesn't end with and they lived happily ever after which Americans love it's a book that requires grown-up faith hello anybody but we need the book of Habakkuk. We need the book of Habakkuk because instead of everything's just going to be okay, we need, to give, we need something better. We need something that will give us daring hope, faith to endure, to persevere, to trust God even when everything is not okay. Even when justice is denied, even when people we love get sick, even when we lose our jobs, even when marriages fall apart, even when there's a global pandemic, we need faith that will enable, enable us to endure. We need the book of Habakkuk. And by the way, here's how Habakkuk ends, Okay. This is where we're going to be in a couple weeks and I can't wait to get there. It ends in the midst of enormous hardship, deep worship of trust. Habakkuk 3:17 Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, and yet there it is again i will rejoice in the lord i will be joyful in god my savior the sovereign lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer he enables me to tread on the heights. you know what the back is saying he's saying god even though justice is denied Even though the economy is tanking, even though my plans have been shredded in the midst of this global pandemic, even though I have no idea how I'm going to make it, and yet, and yet, I will rejoice, not in my circumstances, but I will rejoice in the Lord my God. Even though I have nothing, because of my faith in you, I lack nothing nothing i will worship you you alone are my portion and my strength and the thing is his circumstances hasn't changed habakkuk doesn't end with and they lived happily ever after his circumstances are still the same but you know who changed habakkuk i've said this before Circumstances we ask God to change are often the very circumstances that God is using to change us. Prayer is not first and foremost to change God. Prayer is intended to change us. Prayer is not intended to get God to do our bidding. Prayer is intended to get us to place a surrender so that we would be able to do His bidding. Prayer. Prayer. Kabaka couldn't rejoice in his circumstances, but he could rejoice in his God. He knows that despite his circumstances, God is worthy of worship. How did he get there? Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord transformed his worrying into worship. If you're just joining us, I'm not going to do a thorough review. Habakkuk is a book, three chapters long, a dialogue primarily between a prophet and his God. Chapter 1, Habakkuk launches two complaints. God answers him. And in chapter 2, we find Habakkuk waiting, waiting. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how will he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablet so that runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for an appointed time, Moed. It describes the end, it will, not, it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it will surely take place, it will not be delayed. Verse 4, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by faith. Why does it require faith to wait patiently on the Lord? Because it takes faith to believe that the purpose is still at work when the process is still invisible. Let me say them one more time. It takes faith to believe that the purpose is at work when the process is invisible. It takes faith to believe that the solution is coming when the status is the same. It takes faith to believe that God loves us too much to give us now what we are not yet ready to receive. It takes faith to believe that God's delays are not denials. It takes faith to believe that there's a difference between a no and a not yet. It takes faith to believe in Moeid. <sighs> Some of you will be glad that I am wrapping up this little mini series within the series on waiting. I wish I could talk about this longer because, frankly, we can't hear enough truth about how to wait on the Lord. We are Americans after all. But I'm going to conclude as we've been on this for the last two weeks and what it means to wait. And, I, and I'm fully intending to pick this back up a few months from now because there is no more critical discipline I believe needed in such a time as this and learning, learning this truth that it's all over and over and over again in Scripture. So what does it mean to wait As we see, there are beautiful metaphors throughout chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that gives us a a beautiful picture of what it means to wait. And we talked about what it means to wait obediently. Last week, we talked about what it means to wait patiently. And today, we're going to talk about three other things. First, what does it mean to wait? It means to wait perspectively. Wait perspectively. Why did the ancient people build towers within the cities so that you could see what was coming you could see the, the weather that's coming that you can see on the ground so the city can prepare for it you could see enemies critical enemies that are coming so that you could make sure that your city would be prepared to defend the city and you could also see reinforcements that were coming from a distance that are 20 times larger than the enemies so that the people within the city would also be able to prepare for air. Why did you build towers and people go up to the towers so you could see what was coming? It was a way of getting perspective. What does it mean when Habakkuk says, I'm waiting on the Lord by going into the tower? Listen to this. He is doing everything he can spiritually to get some perspective. And I want to say that in your season of waiting, in my season of waiting, fewer things might be more critical to our faith and to dare to hope than having correct perspective about God, about you and me, and about the world around us. When I read the New Testament, there is something interesting that I find about Paul, especially in his letters to the churches. Some of you might know this. There are a number of prayers that are found in his epistles when he writes these letters to these churches. There's a prayer in Philippians 1, Colossians 1, Ephesians 1 and 3, which I will in a little bit talk about. But here's the thing. When you read his prayers, you know what he doesn't pray for? He doesn't pray things like this. God, will you protect them from persecution? Although believers were enduring major persecution. He doesn't pray for God, I pray that you'll provide them with financial resources, even though we know that there are churches that were going through enormous financial hardship. He doesn't pray about their circumstances. You know what he does pray for? Let me give you an example of the kind of ways that Paul prays. Ephesians 1 verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance. (laughs) Ephesians 3, another prayer, verse 16. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, to which I, I would have gone. No, 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 Paul. No, no, Paul. I don't need to be strengthened on the inside. I need something to be done about my outside, about my circumstances. And Paul says, I'm going to pray for power and strength in your inner being. So that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, verse 18, may grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Instead of praying for circumstances, Paul is constantly praying for what? Perspective, perspective, perspective for spiritual insight, for things like I want you to know your adoption as sons and daughters of God, I want you to know your status as heirs of the King. I want you to know about your privileges of what you have in Christ. I want you to know of your belovedness. I want you to know that fundamentally you are the beloved of God, which is at the core of who we are belovedness child of god is your identity it's your status it's your inheritance it's your vocation everything that we do in our flows from this we are the beloved of god do you know why that's important give me like two minutes little little little, little, little two minutes here for those of us that want to do justice work which is critical in this day and age the only way that you can do justice work is to first and foremost understand your identity as the beloved of God so that you can see the belovedness of people creating the image of God. You cannot see their belovedness unless you see your own belovedness, child of God. Paul says, that's what I want you to know more. Not because I don't care about your circumstances, but it begins here. Why does Paul pray like this? Why does the scripture talk like this all the time? Listen, the biggest temptation we make and have in our seasons of waiting, listen, 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 is to somehow think that if the circumstances were different, we'd be better. Things would be better. And I'm not saying the circumstances are desperate in need, but if we are tempted to believe that if all things circumstances outside of us would we'll just be different. And... Listen, listen. How many of us think that when this pandemic is over, all of a sudden, magically, all of our problems will disappear? Here's a harder one. How many of us think that if we just elect the right president, all of our societal ills will disappear. It's not just evil out there. It's evil in here too. I will not place my hope and my confidence in presidents, in kings, or rulers. My hope is grounded in the King of kings and Lord of lords. And no, that doesn't mean that I don't care or I'm inactive. It means that I'm grounded and anchored with the right motivation to do justice work how many of us think if I was just in a right relationship had the right job if I just lived in the right city if I just had kids or some of us if we didn't have any kids <laughs> if I made enough money if I got the right grades if my sickness just went away then I'd be all right then I'd be content can I just remind all of us read the old testament and read the story of the Israelites. They have just been delivered from 400 years of slavery. They have just walked on dry ground with an ocean next to them. And two chapters later, they're going, we're hungry, we're thirsty, where is God? Hear this. Miraculous intervention of God does not automatically create in us either contentment in our circumstances or confidence in God's future provision it doesn't so why does paul pray i pray for strength in your inner being come on church it's because paul knows that what we ultimately need in our waiting to wait patiently is a healing of our perspective come on somebody a healing in our perspective and not just a change in our circumstances. In this season of waiting, how many of us are anxious and upset and in despair? We're anxious because we don't trust God's wisdom and we think we know better. God, clearly you didn't get that memo about how I needed that thing to happen by Friday. We're upset because we question God's love and don't believe that he has our best interest at heart. God, if you really love me, then how could you let all of this happen? And we're in despair because we doubt God's power, that he is able more than able to accomplish what concerns me today. This is why, more than anything, Paul is praying that circu- more than praying that circumstances will change. Paul is praying constantly for perspective, for perspective, for perspective. And in case you're going, did he get it? Did he get the whole Romans eight eighteen? I consider that our present sufferings, and this is the guy who knew about suffering, read the New Testament, shipwrecked, flogged, beaten, stoned. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do whatever you need, Paul says, to get into the tower do whatever you need to go up into the tower and get perspective and preach the gospel to yourselves and if you do you and i might be able to declare: my sickness my sickness the only sickness that can really kill me sin has been dealt with resurrection is awaiting me my debt my debt the only debt that could really crush me has been paid one cent for all And I am an heir of the glorious inheritance of riches that are coming for me. Evil and justice, there's an expiration date on that. He died and rose again to make sure of that. In 1851, an English missionary by the name of Ellen Gardner was shipwrecked with a number of other people on a tiny, remote, uninhabited island on the south tip of South uh, America. They all died one at a time. He was one of the last to be alive before he died. Alan Gardner kept a journal. And when they finally found him and the rest, the last journal entry, he cited Psalm 34:10. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger. He's a man who knew literally starvation to death. And then he says, Psalm 34: But they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good. And the very last thing he wrote in his journal, was that I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. Here's a man far from home, all alone, dying of starvation, and yet somehow he was able to access the goodness of God, not because of his circumstance, He was able to access the goodness of God, so much so that he's able to declare, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. Christian, go into the tower. Get perspective. Wait perspectively. Second, wait God-centrically. Wait God-centrically. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those, to the soul who seeks him. I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. We've been alluding to this constantly throughout this sermon. We're not just waiting for answers. Hello, somebody. We're waiting for what? For him. We're not just seeking answers. We're seeking we're not just looking and waiting for deliverance we're waiting for god one will frustrate you the other one can sustain you through anything including a fiery furnace man oh man when i think about what it means to wait god-centrically of course i go right to daniel chapter 3 hello anybody daniel chapter 3 you know the story nebuchadnezzar has erected a statue and basically given an edict anybody who does not bow down to the statue will be thrown to fire furnace daniel and three friends shadrach meshach and abednego will not bow down to this idol and when the king threatens them with ultimately death here's what they say daniel 3 verse 17 If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us, verse 18, but even if he does not. Jesus, even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What are they saying? We do not serve God just for what God gives us. We serve God for Himself. We do not love God just for Him to do our bidding. We love God for Himself. We're not just waiting for God's deliverance, we are waiting what? On God. God could rescue us from this furnace, but even if he doesn't, that will not minimize, nor deter our worship or our love of our God. Oh, King, we would rather be delivered into God's presence through the fire than to worship a false god to escape the fire. These young men were spiritually fireproofed before they were physically fireproof, and they were able to endure anything. Do you want to be that strong? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Let me just put it right to you. The thing that you're waiting for? The thing that you're praying about? The thing that you're believing God for? If you are more about that than you are about God, you will never be able to say, but if not. It's only when you love Him for Him. When you serve Him for Him. When you worship Him for Him. It's only when you want His heart more than what's in His hands will you and I be able to declare. God can and God will. But if not, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you trust that God is for you even when he doesn't give you what you asked for? Waiting on the Lord means that we're faithful. We're obedient, even when things are hard, even when things are difficult, even when things don't make any sense. Think about Habakkuk. Think about Job. Think about their, think about David. Think about all these godly men and women. We're still talking about them thousands of years later. Why? Because they were immune to pain. They were immune to struggle. They were immune to doubt. Look at it. Look at Habakkuk. They're struggling. They're questioning. They're angry at God. But at the end, they stay with God. Why? Because they learn to serve God for God. Love God for God. Worship God for God. Hebrews eleven six 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you know what the reward of faith is? Not things, not answers the reward is God himself and lastly wait faithfully wait faithfully and this is the most important portion in all of what it means to wait because it ultimately anchors us Habakkuk 2.4, look to the proud they trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live, literally, it says, in their faithfulness to God. And you know that this is so critical that Paul cites, New Testament cites it three times. Romans 1, Galatians 3, Hebrews 10, the righteous will live by faith. And you realize that in all those contexts, he's talking about Christ and what Christ has done. In other words, faith is not stoically holding on to God faith is instead of looking at the circumstances around us it's relying on your faith in the redemptive purposes of god the gospel in other words in order to wait on the lord instead of looking at your circumstances and being affected by them we need to look at jesus and what he has done and be affected by it in luke chapter 12 jesus tells a parable about a master who goes away on a trip and he leaves his servants behind. Some of the servants are obedient and faithful because they know that he's coming back. Other servants are disobedient and unfaithful because they don't think he's coming back. It was Jesus' way of saying, I want my followers to wait for me. Wait for me. Wait obediently, being faithful to what it is I've called you to do. Wait patiently, trusting that I am still at work. I want you to wait for me. And this is how this powerful parable ends. Luke 12, verse 27. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and wait on them as they sit and eat. I've waited like three weeks to talk about this. You realize that wait also means what? To serve. To serve. And Jesus is saying, if you will wait for me and my coming, there will come a day when I will what? Wait on you. I will serve you. Now this is, this is beyond my intellect to be able to fully explain, so let me try. Jesus is pointing to the Messianic banquet, the Messianic feast that is to come, when the kingdom of God is ushered in, when we'll see God face to face. Anybody looking forward to that? we will see god face to face have all of our deepest longings and needs fully met and he'll wipe away every tear and usher in a perfect world without evil without injustice without suffering death and disease that is what the world jesus says i will serve i will wait on you to which you go how do we know how do we know that that will happen how do we dare to hope that that will actually happen we can wait and hope for that future certainty, because there was a time in the past when he waited on us and served us. In John 13, the night before he is crucified. This is so powerful. Jesus puts on an apron, and he waits on his disciples. He begins to serve his disciples it was his way of saying I am going to the cross for you I am going to die to serve you the one who said I came not to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many is saying I came and I am now going to wait on serve you He say how do I wait patiently See Jesus being patient on the cross, enduring the wrath of God. For who? For you. For me. Is it hard to wait? Wait obediently, Peter. See Jesus being obedient to death, saying, Not my will, but what? Yours be done. How do you dare to hope for the future? Look to the past. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're waiting on God for, child of God, but I need you to get eyeball to eyeball with the cross. The good news is not an exhortation. Hang on, hold on. The good news that God is hanging on to you. God is holding on to you. And one day he will come and demolish evil and injustice and make all things right. When the bottom falls out, get your eyes on the cross. And it will not answer your why. It will not answer your how. But you'll know this. You'll know God loves me. God loves me. The cross of Jesus Christ tells me that God loves me unconditionally. Always has, always ill. No, my circumstances don't tell me that. It's not my circumstances my circumstances might tell me otherwise but it's the cross that tells me i am his beloved and he is mine peter can anything good come out of all the stuff we're going through that's what everyone was asking that friday wasn't it we're not standing at the foot of the cross on good friday though we are standing on the other side of the cross and from our vantage point now the cross is the most beautiful thing in the history of the world, because it tells us that God could take the worst thing, the most evil thing, the most unjust thing, and without minimizing the evil and the injustice, bring out of it something for eternal good. Yes, God can change circumstances and content to God. Pray for justice, pray for healing pray for miracles but at the end of the day the cross is proof that god doesn't always change our circumstances but in every circumstance he is able to bring about glory for himself good to us and salvation and redemption for the world is this good news and he is with you in the waiting he is with you in the waiting he is with you in the waiting no matter how scary isolating and uncertain the future a man with this story of a doctor a famous doctor who was an alcoholic this man gave and surrendered his life and addiction to Jesus Christ as Lord one day this doctor And a coworker of his, after a long, grueling, hard day, were in an office, and this coworker turned to this doctor and said, look, I know you're a Christian and all, but let me ask you something. Are you telling me that after a hard, long, grueling day like today, and you find yourself all alone in your office, and you know that there is the finest bottle of scotch in the drawer, you're telling me that you wouldn't help yourself to it? To which this follower of Jesus replied, everything you said could happen except one thing. Since I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as Lord, I've learned that I am never alone. No matter the temptation, the trial, or the trauma, Jesus is with you and for you. This side of new heaven and new earth, life will not be crisis-free, but it will never be Christ-absent because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. We don't ever have to be afraid to die or live. a moment just to be still and listen Father forgive us when our trust and worship of you vacillates. All it takes is a global virus, personal pain, or unexpected transition for us to question your goodness. By your gospel and spirit, we wanna worship you before there's a fire, when we're in the fire, whether we're delivered from the fire, or you take us home through the fire. Our future is held tightly and lovingly in your mighty hands. We know that you are at work in all things for our good all the time in our joys and pains, our losses and crosses. Father, because of your sovereign grip on everything, we release our white knuckle grip on things and we raise our hands in praise and surrender. We don't have control over the number of our days before you call us home. But fill the ones you've marked out for us with grace from you, trust in you, and love for others we don't have control over the loss, the pain, disappointments, feelings people carry in their hearts, but free us to stay present with kindness, resisting the temptation to fix them or withdraw into indifference. We don't have control over our circumstances, people that can impact our next season, but you do, and you don't need us as your consultant. We need you as Lord. We don't have control over the impending election, a safe vaccination, or the global economy, but you do! And this doesn't lead to shrugging our shoulders, no, Lord. It leads us to bending our knees. You promise peace at all times and in every situation. To know you're with us and for us, to know you love us and are in control of all things is what we really need. You haven't promised us all the answers we want, but you've promised all the grace that we need. We are so grateful to be your beloved children. We rest in your love. We surrender to your sovereignty and praise you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' mighty name,